This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomat. Welcome to yet another episode of Tao Unbound. I am Ido Aroni, your host, and today it is my distinct pleasure to host, uh, right here in our studio on campus, Professor Avigdor Abelson, who is a marine biologist and marine ecologist and a professor at the School of Zoology at Tel Aviv University. Welcome to our studio. Thank you. Great pleasure to be here. You are uh, a very um, well-known professor in your field, and you are... Uh, you have expressed your opinion on 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 um, on the issue of how to protect the environment and climate change, and you frequently appear on Israeli national media. Uh, but today we'd like to talk to you about your specific research. But as we usually do with our guests, I'd like to start with some personal questions if you if you don't mind sharing with sure. us a bit about your background. I know you live in Herzliya now, but where you're from originally? Originally, I'm from the north, a Haifa area. And I spent there the whole childhood till the army, of course. And then I started uh, moving around like a rolling stone, <laughs> the Hebrew University. And then for my master's and PhD, Tel Aviv University. And then I moved to Stanford University in California for my postdoc. What was your postdoc about? Well, it's a complicated uh, topic, which was also my PhD, which combines physical aspects with biological, ecological aspects, how flow is affected by the shape, by the morphology of creatures, and how they exploit flow, uh, flow for their uh, survival and proliferation. Is there a specific geographical area that you... You developed an expertise because Stanford obviously is a different kind of yeah, ocean. I think I can say planet Earth. <laughs> planet Earth. But I mean, when it comes to uh, marine biology, I'm assuming I've there's a been, big difference between the Mediterranean and the Pacific Ocean. Uh, absolutely. But there are also lots of common denominators. And I, I did part of my postdoc uh, in Washington State, which is the northwest of uh, the states, and in California, and I did some study in Africa, and I work now a lot in Southeast Asia and the Pacific, and so I'm, I just come back from Suriname, which is South America, so I'm, as I said, I'm a rolling stone, but... So academically, after you spent years in the States, you moved back and joined the faculty at Tel Aviv University. True. And in terms of your, um, when your travels, right, where, where would you say you spent most of the time conducting research outside of Israel? Outside of Israel, I would say the Philippines. In the Philippines? Yeah. What, what's so unique about that area? Well... First of all, it is what we call the center of biodiversity of the marine environment, which is very appealing to, I think, almost every marine ecologist. But beyond that, um, what was the driving force for me to go, keep going back to the Philippines is to see how we humans 
we destroy the, the treasures that we got from, you can call it God or whatever power or destiny. And Now, I, I must ask you this because I, I read one of your excellent pieces in, in, that you published in the Israeli media in which you express a great deal of frustration from the fact that there are some scientists that uh, defy really the, the findings. And you claim that 97% of the scientists link human behavior to uh, the crisis that we're facing in the environment. Why do you think is that? Why, why, what's behind that? Why would 3% of the scientific community uh, support claims that are not based by evidence? First of all, when we look at those that are the deniers, and we are talking here about climate change, climate crisis, all the deniers in Israel, none of them is a climate scientist. So I think that this says something about... So where are they from? Where are they coming from? Well, there is a guy in, I think, in Bar-Ilan University. I'm not sure, but a guy who is expert in Talmud. And he's involved like active uh, guy. There is a guy in Ben-Gurion University, and I'm not trying to, to criticize other institutes, but uh, most of the scientists in all our institutes in Israel, they definitely agree about the common, well-accepted uh, argument that we are responsible for the climate change, for the climate crisis, and that there is climate crisis. But there, there's another point that you make in that article, which I think is fascinating. I think you're saying also that let's, even if we set aside the question of who's responsible, yeah. why not do all the things that we propose to do, right? It's, it would exactly. only do good things to the environment. Exactly. Why not take care of Mother Earth? Right, that's what you're saying. Exactly. And the point is that <clears throat> if we reduce the combustion of a fossil a gas, fossil fuels, in this way, we also improve the environment for humans. I mean, when, when there are those <clears throat> power plants that are run by coal and by other uh, fossil fuel, they pollute the environment. And actually, when we talk about mortality rates directly due to air pollution, we are talking about something around eight to nine million people dying every year. <clears throat> Just Think about how many people died of this pandemic that we, the whole world was completely in panic because of this uh, pandemic. How many people died because of that in one year? And here we have every year between eight to nine million people dying directly of uh, air pollution, let alone all those that suffer of cancer and and asthma and other goodies that we have because of this air pollution. So, and people are not aware of it. And if we reduce the uh, amount of emission, not only that we can help climate change, but even if it doesn't matter, 
we still improve the health of people and we improve the environment. Now, uh, that leads me to your current uh, research. If you can tell us a little bit about the projects that you're concentrating on today. Mm. Um, several projects. I think that the, the common denominator is my strong will to, to make a change, to, 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 make, to make things better and to reverse the trend of the decline, degradation of our uh, planet, our uh, natural ecosystems. So I am involved in several projects of uh, marine ecosystem restoration, again, to, to make a change and to stop, to try to stop the degradation of... So ca can you give us, uh, just for the benefit of our listeners and our viewers who are not familiar with the terminology. So when you say restoration, give us an example of what would be considered restoration in your eyes. In my eyes, <clears throat> restoration means that when we see ecosystem that is degraded or destroyed, we take some actions, interventions, and we can change the trend. And uh, instead of degradation, we manage to heal the place and to start uh, seeing it growing, growing back to its... Do, do we have any success? I'm sure we have some success stories. Yes. Um, in the Philippines, we, we did several projects. Some of them failed. It's not easy, but some of them were really successful. Um, we try to do coral transplantation and to alleviate or to remove the local stressors. And in this way, we managed to actually to, when we remove the stressors, in many cases, we don't have to do anything else. So this is the first step of restoration. And uh, then we can see how nature in many cases, and it's true for coral reefs, it's true for uh, mangrove forests, it's true for seagrass meadows, all these are what we call coastal marine ecosystems, and they are very important for local communities, for their livelihood, and also very important in a global scale for, for a like when we talk about climate change, the mangroves are critical in terms of carbon sequestration. They help to remove carbon from the atmosphere. Uh, so, and there are many other benefits, like in Suriname we see because of the degradation of mangroves, the sea is taking over and we see major erosion of the coast and the sea is getting closer to, to houses, to, to places where people live. So not only they lose their agricultural areas, they lose also, in some cases, their houses, and of course, the land. So if we manage to restore the ecosystem, we can shift the, the trend and reclaim area back for... Now, I'm assuming because, you know, the oceans is something that belongs to, uh, you know, the universe, to all of us, really. And um, I'm assuming there's a great deal of international collaboration in your research, right? You're working with scientists from all over the world. Can you share with us a little bit about your 
scientific connections with other countries, other universities, other scientists? Yeah, during the years, especially when it comes to uh, marine ecosystem restoration, we had collaboration with scientists from different universities in the States, like uh, the UC, University of California in uh, Santa Barbara and Santa Cruz, and um, Duke University recently, and also universities from Italy, from Germany. And recently, I am involved in another project, which is not restoration, but rather aquaculture, because I think that a sustainable aquaculture can be a very important solution when it comes to food security and sustainable food security. And uh, so recently uh, we are in collaboration with a very special university in India, Amrita University, university that has the goal not only to improve science, but also to promote uh, the environment and also uh, women empowerment. So I, I love their attitude, which is beyond science. And, and how, how are they going about <clears throat> empowering women through this project? In this project, the aim is to teach uh, women from coastal communities how to implement a seaweed a culture. Seaweed are, seaweeds are macroalgae. So these are marine plants. And to teach them how to culture, which is not too complicated. And which, they, which means how to grow. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, how to grow. And yeah. to become basically marine farmers. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. So to turn household women and sometimes women that help their husbands in fishing and the, the problem is that fishing yields are dropping down in most places in the world, if not all places, definitely over there. So they can provide the family extra livelihood. And of course, on the way, it makes them also, f they, they feel better and it makes them more important when it comes to the family uh, level and also the 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 village level now a lot of people talk about really the the ocean is the future of, of of food really of food security and can you can you uh spark our imagination a little bit with the possibilities of what can we oh yeah. expect from the oceans when it comes to food security yeah first of all let's start with the kind of opposite figures when we talk about the terrestrial environment versus the marine environment. In agriculture, we culture much more plants, vegetables, fruits, much more dramatically more than animals. Luckily so. I hope it will be even more. When it goes to the marine environment, the figures flip. And we have like something around when like the last years we are talking about, shall I give figures? So something around 30 million tons of uh, seaweeds as opposed to over 
200 million tons of animals, different kinds of animals. And no reason, it is much more, uh, I mean, the seaweeds are extremely nutritious. They are very healthy for human health. And to culture them, to grow them, is much more sustainable than uh, growing fish and other creatures. So if we enhance the uh, grow, the, the cultivation of seaweeds, we can do better for the environment, we can do better for human health, and we can do much better when it comes to livelihood of coastal communities. So it is like win-win-win situation if we uh, grow much more uh, seaweeds. And Please go ahead. And studies show that this is the potential. Also, when it comes to carbon sequestration, we can use seaweeds for this matter. So it, it is like no reason why we are not there yet, but no doubt that we are going there. And I would like to push it forward. Which leads me to my next question, actually, which is, what, what's next for you in terms of your, um, of your research and your scientific work? And, and how we, as a community at Tel Aviv University, and we're uh, being followed by tens of thousands of our friends all over the world, how can we become part of this effort that is really is about the future of humanity? First of all, I think that it's not me. I think that there is a mission here, and the mission is to find ways to change the decline of our planet. And this is a mission for all scientists that deal with the environment or any topics that link somehow to the environment. And then our mission is to transfer the knowledge to the public because at the moment there is deep ignorance when it comes to the importance of the environment, the importance of this planet which is our home and what we do to this home, we, we destroy it and people are not aware of it and it's not only climate change. Now everybody is talking about climate change because we start to see signs that affect us, like drought, like floods, like disasters that are related to climate change. But we do way beyond it. We destroy ecosystems. We pollute the environment. We change the biogeochemical cycles. We, we do horrible to this planet. And people have to be aware of it. So I think that me and scientists like me that deal with the environment, we have to transfer this understanding to, to, to fight the ignorance. And I think that if we do it, only that will justify our existence. Beyond that, I'm trying to do projects, as I said, projects that are related to restoration. Much more important than restoration is the conservation, the protection, to, to prevent further uh, destruction. But in those cases where it was too late, 
at least to fix it. Well, I think that a big part of it is to educate people to adopt uh, healthier habits uh, that will not harm the environment because, because there's nothing we can do about it with the advancement of medicine and technology, the 20th century experienced an unprecedented boom in terms of population. And despite of the fact that we had so many wars and tens of millions of people died in war, the life expectancy is on the rise because of the advancement of medicine. And we're expected to be 10 billion people by 2050 on this planet. And the question is, how do we make sure that this massive number, which is unprecedented, never in the history of humankind, we had so many people on this planet, how to make sure that they are being educated to adopt a behavior that will not inflict harm in the environment. And I think that you're at the forefront of this. And, um, and it's amazing. Your work that you're doing is amazing. And I know that you will be find, you'll be finding many friends listening to us right now. I hope so. And, uh, you know, I can, I can spend a lot more time with you. Uh, but, I, I, you know, our time is up. And I just yeah. wanted to thank you uh, for everything that you've done. It's a pleasure, really, to, to talk to you and to get to know you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And until our next time, goodbye from Tel Aviv to all our viewers and listeners. This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomat. <laughs>